Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good afternoon, listeners. This is The Dogs Programme. The Australian Council for the Defence of Government Schools are here every Saturday at 12 noon without fail uh, to defend and to promote public education. And as we tell you every week, that means public education, which is public in purpose and outcome. Above all, it is public in access. It's accessible to all children, regardless of where they come from, what their religious beliefs of their parents may be and also what the bank balance of their parents might be. They should be publicly owned and controlled and they should also be the only ones that are publicly funded because they're the only ones, as we're discovering again and again, that can be publicly accountable. And it is more than time that the major parties of Australia and the others as well, I think, uh, should be taking responsibility for the provision of a first-rate public education for every child in this country. And the actual media is very interesting in the last week. We have a press release, 676, for you this week at www.adogs.info and the heading is Sweetheart Deals with the Catholic Church are Nothing New in Australian Education. Now, the Fairfax media, not the Murdoch media quite so much, but the Fairfax media, through fairly courageous journalists like Matthew Knott, are finally exposing sweetheart deals between the Catholic Church and governments of both parties in the last few Gonski years. Consider the following quote from the age of the 12th of October 2016. Catholic schools in wealthy suburbs across Australia are being significantly overfunded by taxpayers, with some receiving up to four times their appropriate funding levels under sweetheart deals struck in the dying days of the Rudd government. Dogs have been attempting to expose the outrageous rorting of the Catholic system in particular and the private sectarian system in general since the introduction of Whitlam's Carmel Needs System in 1974. In those days, dogs called the diversion of public money from poor parish schools into new schools and wealthy institutions bottom-of-the-schoolyard schemes. They resembled taxation bottom-of-the-harbour schemes of Alan Bond and Scase and would-be other magnets. Remember the days? 
they're not much better now as far as taxation is concerned, are they, listeners? Dogs' press releases were ignored by the Fairfax and Murdoch Press in those days and they received no support at all from the Press Council when we uh, complained. The President, Ray Nielsen, paid for advertisements in the newspapers himself. These also were ignored. The figures were conservative and no one was prepared to argue with us, I might say. However, those advertisements stand as evidence of our attempts to blow the whistle and they're recorded in the 2011 publication Contempt of Court. And uh, in our news release, I've listed the dates and the places where they were put. They were put in The Age and also in The Australian and also in The Canberra Times. And um, we did it pretty well up until 1980. And by 1984, the rorts were so bad and that there was, in fact, a dissenting report on the Schools Commission and the Schools Commission was abandoned but the the problems are starting to surface once again. Yet the dog's position has recently gathered considerable support and momentum, especially from those who are commenting about these uh, reports online. So what has changed in the last few years? The Labor Party, of course, doesn't think anything has changed, and neither do the Liberals, but I think they're starting to wake up that they nearly lost... The election, the Liberals, because of the state school vote. So dogs are looking at the overall situation that we now find ourselves in Australia. It's very different from 1973, 74 or even the 1960s. And we suggest the following reasons for the change. The Australian middle class is being hollowed out by globalisation and parents in insecure or casualised jobs cannot pay outrageous mortgages and school fees at the same time. They could be wealthy today and bankrupt tomorrow. And look what's happened in America. The choice of a local public school cannot be taken for granted anymore, but it must be demanded and fought for. And city schools for city city kids and a high school for Coburg Group have been remarkably successful. Thirdly, the state school lobby groups like Save Our Schools and City Schools for City Kids are flexing their muscles and doing their research. And much of the research used by the Fairfax Media has been done by Trevor Cobald of Save Our Schools from basic figures, which are now available on the My School website thanks to Julia Gillard actually confronting these people and demanding the figures. They've never given all the figures, of course, but there are enough figures to prove that the state school vote, not the Catholics' vote, is what will put the Labor Party back into power. And Tanya Pligbeset should remember this when she starts uh, saying that there might be a hit list. More than 60% of Australian children attend public schools and only 20% attend Catholic schools these days. The Royal Commission into the Abuse of Children has exposed the sickness at the heart of the institutionalised church. And finally, even the Federal Education Minister has had to admit to overfunding of some private schools in Australia and he's blaming Mr Shorten, of course. The economic blackmail also by private schools is looking less and less credible. They're still 
traipsing out their old arguments and their old arguments are just not holding water. As Chris Bonner points out on Save Our Schools, their media watch, we all heard the Federal Minister's statements on Q&A in late September. But did you hear Amanda Vanstan claiming that if every parent took their kid out of private schools and went into public schools, the education bill would score? Well, guess what? She's not actually done her homework. The times have changed. In fairness, uh, the private school people are touting that bill to be between six and nine billion, which is what we're paying anyway each year. And from memory, Tim Hawkes from King's School said that it would be fiscal suicide. But private school funding is now so high that the real figure is actually much less. A couple of years ago, Bonner and Trevor Cobald on Save Our Schools calculated the cost as less than $2 billion. So it would be less than, even less now. And that would be around 5% of government recurrent funding. So they're updating their figures and it's going to be very interesting to see what they come up with, how much it would cost us to take over the private school sector. Now, uh, I'll go on with this a little bit later, but we're hoping to get a little chat with Robert about all of this because he's pretty good on these facts and figures and uh, I'm sure that he would like, even from his hospital bed, to have a word with you. Hello, Rob. How you going, Jean? Pretty good, and we hope that you're stable. Yeah, I'm stable. Sorry I can't be in the studio this week. Um, yeah, circumstances have conspired, but nevertheless, uh, the dog's fight goes on. Always, always. Um, now, I've been telling our listeners all about the very interesting articles that have appeared in the Fairfax Press about the sweetheart deals between the wealthy Catholic schools, well, the Catholic Education Office, actually, and um, the Rudd government. It didn't do Rudd any good, did it? It came down on it, probably. But um, it's all very interesting. I was wondering if you could perhaps have a look at some of the figures that they've produced, mainly from the Save Our Schools website. Well, yes, it's rather well, interesting. It's um, appalling, actually. Um, look, currently, as you know, Jean, the education system in Australia is just all messed up into these three various systems. And um, Birmingham, a couple of weeks ago, started having a go at wealthy private schools, saying, oh, these wealthy private schools are getting too much money, more than they are entitled. And I'd like our listeners to hang on to that word, entitled, um, more than they are entitled. Um, and, you know, bashing wealthy private schools is all very good fun for everyone, and that's great. But as part of this process, is what usually happens, as you know, Jean, is that the Catholic school system sort of goes under the radar. Everyone thinks, oh, well, they're poor private schools, they're poor Catholic schools, um, and so therefore, obviously, you know, you can't bash them. Well, this revealing data from the Save Our Schools organisation and indeed being picked up by the Sydney Morning Herald and the Fairfax Network shows that the, the poor Catholic schools or the Catholic Education Office, which administers them, um, are just into exactly the same thing as the richer ones are, which is to say they're getting paid or overfunded beyond what are called their entitlements. Um, and the numbers are actually quite shocking because um, the Fairfax media have revealed just a couple of days ago that um, $7 million a year 
is what's being overfunded in a particular school. So this isn't across the, the this isn't across the sector. This is in a particular school in New South Wales. Um, but before we get into a particular school, let's just have a look at what's going on in general, because these Catholic schools that are being overfunded um, aren't being overfunded for charitable purposes. They're not being overfunded in the poorer areas of Australia. They are, in fact, um, in the wealthy suburbs across Australia, and they are now being significantly overfunded by taxpayers. Some of them are receiving up to four times what is considered appropriate funding under the sweetheart deal struck, as you mentioned, Jean, in the dying days of the government. Now, there's about 150 of them. Um, I would suggest there to be more than that because the question of what a Catholic school is entitled to from the government is a question that's moot as far as the dog's concerned. I'm, I'm sure you would agree, Jean. Indeed. I mean, you know, with this whole question of entitlement. Um, from my point of view, a private school that has the ability to exclude children, um, <laughs> exclude children because they are excluded from the laws of the country, um, shouldn't be given any money at all. It's just very simple. So um, I think they're all overfunded by, by whatever thousand percent you'd like to say. Just take the money away and that solves all the problems. But some of them, um, at the moment, under the Gonski formula at least, are receiving up to almost 300% of what it is that they're entitled to. It's very interesting that, in some sense, the Gonski formula is, is, is accepted as somehow a, a proper entitlement, isn't it? Well, it is. Yeah. Um, now, I could go into the facts and figures, and I'm sure our listeners would be interested in that, but I'd like to draw a couple of um, connections, because the data from the Department of Education that shows that inequities and distortions in the Australian school funding system um, extend well into the Catholic school sector. Now, Catholic schools are funded on a system-wide basis. Mm. And state and Territory Catholic Education Commissions distribute the funding among their schools as they see fit. And I'm going to say that again. Catholic Education Commissions in each state and territory distribute the funding according to their schools as they see fit. So if anyone is responsible, it's controlled by bishops. So we have religious people deciding how taxpayers' money is being spent. Now, you say, well, that's all right. Bishops are nice people. Or maybe you think they're not. I don't know. But, you know, what, what, what a bishop knows about what's right and what's wrong is a question. And it's a question that was actually answered earlier this year, Jean. I'm sure you recall that in the great state of Victoria, the Auditor General, Dr Peter Frost, Yep said that the Education Department, in administering um, just, the, just the state funds, not, not the federal funds, um, there were no performance measures or targets allocated to the money, and that the Catholic schools who were given money by the government to fund the education of the children in those schools were actually unable to prove funds were spent the way the government had wished them to be spent. That's right. Now, and they're given by yeah, the I mean, Commonwealth under Section 96 grants too, with, 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 um, right. with conditions uh, applied. Yep. So and they're just thumbing their noses at the government. Yeah. Now, the Auditor General back then, and this is about, this is about entitled money or over-entitled money, the whole lot. The Auditor found there is, there, is, there is limited assurance that grants were used for their intended purpose or to actually achieve any intended outcome. The absence of clear, appropriate governance by the Education Department has led to poor grant administration, including inadequate monitoring, on whether the grants were used as intended. And he found at that time, in a sample of just 22 schools, 
that no school, no Catholic school that were, that were audited, could prove that their funding was not used for forbidden purposes, were not used on capital works, were not used um, as, as well, as I've discovered when I was doing some research on um, um, a Catholic school down in Seaford, were not used um, to, to, be, to be given to the Bishop's Capital Improvement Fund um, because state government money should not be used to be given to bishops to do with what they wish. Yes, well, of course, this has been going on since uh, since state aid was given back in 1964. Uh, no, I can't say that. I think that the science grants were given for science grants and they were used for science grants. But after 1973, with the Labor Party Schools Commission, it's been pretty well open slather. And every time there's oh, been yeah. any questioning, they've just laughed at the government uh, and everybody else, anybody who has questioned them. And Mr Elder thinks that he can continue to do that. Mr Fox in Canberra thinks well, he can t- continue to do that. Indeed. I mean, with, with, earlier this year it was found that only 20% of schools receiving student disabilities grants, okay, this is student disabilities grants, forget science grants, could actually prove that the money they got was used for the purpose for which the money was intended. So the Catholic Education Office cannot prove that the money that was given by the government to support students with disabilities was actually used in that way. It's, it's, it's a scandal. I mean, this has been around for ages. Mr Birmingham jumping up and down, or Save Our Schools jumping up and down, saying that Catholic schools are getting more than they're entitled, just, just the tip of the iceberg. Well, this is actually you know, worse. People, people, people are getting worried about the colour, colour of the deck chairs, let alone the, the position of them, as the whole thing just goes, goes under, under, the, under the ocean after it's hit an iceberg. I think you're not wrong, uh, but of course this has been going on for a long time and they've just got used to it and uh, they're, they're uh, having fun, aren't they? Let's have a look at some of the individual schools. Um, I've got here Our Lady of Lords Catholic Primary School in the Melbourne suburb of Pran. It received 11875 per student, but South Yarra Primary only received 7754 that's a big difference, isn't it? Oh, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I mean, in Seaford, um, I can't remember the name of the school now, uh, in Seaford, the local Catholic school, which, whose students, by the way, are significantly, and I say statistically significantly wealthier than students from any other school in that area, receives about 20% more funding per student than, than, um, than um, the Seaford Primary School down the road. Yep. Like the Catholics will just get more government money. Forget, forget money that comes in from parents. The Catholics will get more government money, some of which, by the way, is just siphoned off to the bishops before it even hits to the kids, um, than, than, than the state school down the road. I mean, yes, of course it's over-entitlement. It's just bloody wrong. It's just kind of stupid. I mean, we've got this self-segregation of, of private schools, picking and choosing the kids that they choose to educate, getting more money than the state school down the road. And we want to end up with an educated and equitable system in Australia? We're not. We're just creating some kind of ridiculous class system in the next generation. Well, the Christ, this generation. The Christchurch Grammar School, apparently, they got only 2,600, but it's, they're receiving 130% of their entitlement. So that suggests that Our Lady of Lourdes is actually dramatically overfunded by the taxpayers. If you actually look at the 11,000, they're they're rorting the system much more efficiently than the Anglican one. 
disposal. Oh, no, absolutely. I don't know if you think about it like that, but, Jean, if you look at those figures, it's above entitlement. The question of what they're entitled to hasn't been entered into this equation at all. Like, they're not talking about the amount of money the school receives, and I can tell you, once you start looking at that, you realise that private schools get billions of dollars uh, from the government. It's just, inverted commas, over-entitlement. Well, of course, this Christchurch Grammar School in South South Yarra um, have fees and charges per student of 20000 on top of the government funding. Uh, so you're dealing with very wealthy parents uh, in uh, South Yarra there in Pran. But uh, I don't see why, in fact, the Lady of Lords School wouldn't have equally uh, wealthy parents. Like, oh, well, I mean, I've actually taught in that South Yarra Primary School. It's a, it's a nice little school. But, um, yeah, it takes all the other kids, if you know what I mean. Oh, yes, yes, it yes. It takes all the other kids. Um, and that's just what's accepted within that. Isn't it strange that Australia just accepts that? Isn't it, as a culture, we go, oh, yeah, of course we segregate our children based out of Commonwealth. That's just the way it is. Well, I'm Where not if sure you, that we do. If you, if you go to a country like, um, I mean, like Denmark or Finland, they go, what? What, what do you mean you're going to separate our children based upon the wealth of the parents? That's disgusting. That is wrong. We will not allow such a thing to happen. Whereas in Australia, it's, it's considered to be the best thing, and parents who do separate out their children are, are expected to be praised for all the sacrifices they make. It's, it's really quite strange, actually. What I'm finding very interesting, Robert, is that there's been attempt after attempt to uh, somehow make things fair when you're dealing with a system which in itself is not fair. So um, people are starting to wake up that perhaps we should try and not have anything to do with institutions that are not fair. I think it is very sad that these institutions call themselves Christians, uh, Christian and they are not fair. But um, people are saying, just withdraw the money. Just to have private, private, public, public, and be done yep, with it. That's yeah. right. And I tell you right now, the, um, the political pressure to make a successful state school system, I'm going to say this, the, 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 a, to have sufficient pressure to make a public school system effective, accountable, and efficient is predicated on the fact that you only have government money going to a public school system. Until you have that, there will be no political pressure because if everyone thinks they can buy their way out in a subsidised way from a, from, a, from, a, from a state school system, then there will be no um, significant or radical change. Yes, well, this, is what, this is what happened in Finland in the 50s. This is what happened in Denmark in the 60s. This is what happened in Chile last year. Um, until they just work it out and say, you know what, education is the responsibility of the nation, which the nation takes seriously. An education minister is someone who is responsible for the education of the children of the nation, and the only way a responsible minister can do that is, is, is to centralise the process, as we had in Australia, when we had the best education system in the world in the first half of the 20th century, then there will be no significant change. Birmingham's let the cat out of the bag. I don't think he knows what he's done. He wants to p- pick up a few million, million on the edge to make it a little bit fairer. But as soon as, as soon as you look at what he's saying, it becomes amazingly apparent that you just have to go back to basics. That's right. Look, it's been lovely talking to you and 
battle on and we'll see if you'll be able to talk to us from your hospital bed next week or so. Or you oh, might be home, no you might be home. I'll, I'll, I'll be here with, um, with bells on. I'm, I'm, I'm your, um, your correspondent at large at the moment. <laughs> your dog's correspondent at large. Very but, um, good. Yes, um, and and uh, congratulations to all our loyal listeners. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Listening to the Adagio from Ludwig van Beethoven's Piano Concerto Number no. Five in E flat major, uh, and that was Jared Williams on the piano, an Australian player, uh, a lovely pianist. Um, it was it was a bit sad, perhaps, but we are feeling just a wee bit concerned for our Robert, who is in hospital. Um, and uh, he's in good hands, but we are still a little bit thoughtful. Now, we are also thoughtful, of course, and we're very interested in uh, the people who are battling on behalf of public education. And here at The Dogs, we are battlers. We've always been battlers. We can't remember when we weren't battlers. So we are really quite hopeful that Robert will battle on, and we will battle on too. 
Now, the people who have been battling in the inner city are the uh, city schools for city kids people, and they should be congratulated, and we are all very happy for them because Mr Andrews and Mr Molino have at least listened to them, and they might they might just do something. It's going to be very interesting. The plain fact of the matter is, listeners, that like in 1961, the Australian governments have got a problem. Four or five years ago, there were quite a lot of babies being born. Now, the statistics were there. Well, one hopes the statistics the statistics were there because if they can't run a census, then perhaps our government can't even collect statistics anymore. But the children, the babies, were in the labour wards and they're now reaching school age. And they are in various parts of Sydney, Melbourne and the regional areas and the outlying areas of the big cities in Australia. There has been a baby boom. Remember the old baby boomers? They're getting pretty old now, but we've got a lot of new baby boomers and they and their parents want schools and they want free, secular and universal public schools for these children. And they look around, particularly in the inner cities, and they find that there have been schools that were closed 20 years ago by, in Victoria, Mr Kennett. Now, the Labor government have got to do something and they're actually moving. More than 5,000 new student places are going to be created for Melbourne families with a further three new primary schools and high schools to be built in the inner city. The Minister for Education, James Molino, and the member for Albert Park, Martin Foley, released the Docklands School Provision Review and Stage 2 of the Andrews Labor Government's Inner City Schools Package in response to the pressure from the parents. We find uh, from the age uh, in the last week on the 11th of October that there's going to be a new primary school at Docklands with work to start immediately on acquiring the site. That means they haven't got one yet. Uh, They should have perhaps set one aside when they had that Docklands planning, uh, remember, under the Liberal government. Planning will also start on a new primary and secondary school at Fisherman's Bend and a new primary school at North Melbourne. There were two primary schools that were closed by Kennett in the North Melbourne area. Uh, in the 1990s, and now the one that remains is uh, much over uh, enrolled. More than 90,000 students are forecast to enter Victorian schools over the next five years due to Victoria's population boom, and there's a growing demand for new schools in Melbourne's inner city. And it's not for private schools, it's for public schools. So the Labor government has already delivered a record $1.8 billion. Well, that's peanuts besides what the private schools are getting, of course, but you get that money back from the private schools and you've got new public schools. Uh, a record at $1.8 billion to build 42 new schools and upgrade hundreds more across the state to meet the enrolment demand. And under stage two of the inner city schools package announced today – that's on the 11th of October. The government is also going to build a new Docklands Primary School with work to start immediately on acquiring the site. 
identify sites and start planning for a new primary school at North Melbourne. Well, that'll be interesting. I wonder where it's going to be at North Melbourne. Identify sites for both a primary and secondary school at Fisherman's Bend. Secure a site to expand Albert Park College and provide five extra classrooms and deliver the remaining funding for South Melbourne Park Primary School and Paran High School. They're going to open a new Richmond High School and Ferrars Street Primary School in 2018. And the principal of Ferrars Street Primary School, which is a new vertical school in South Melbourne, they're going to build up because they can't build out, will also be appointed 12 months before the school opens so local families can get enrolment support well in advance. The inner city enrolment boundaries are also going to be changed so that Docklands families will be able to send their children to Ferrars Street Primary School and University High School. Well, University High School, I assure you, was already over-enrolled. So what is really needed is a new secondary school. Uh, now, what is James Molino saying? Melbourne's one of the world's most livable cities and we're making sure it remains that way by building new schools and upgrading existing schools for families in the inner city. Well, it's a start, but we need a new secondary school in that area. Very badly indeed. And uh, Richmond is a long way away from North Melbourne. Very interesting, isn't it? Now, they have been doing lots and lots of uh, facts and figures and finding out what's been going on there. But as the gentleman who came on our program last week informed us, their modelling leaves a lot to be desired. But uh, at least they are starting to realise that we have a new lot of baby boomers. Now we'll have a little bit more music now. You have to have a problem That part isn't hard The second step is everybody realizing they're like you They're holding the same card Step three is finding there's a tactic When everyone believes it could be true That if all the people work collectively There just might be something we can do And everything can change So quick Congressmen and businessmen and TV sets will try hard to make sure it isn't so. You don't have a problem. And if you do, it's not the same problem. And if it is, well, there's just nowhere you can go. But it's happened many times. The history is rich, though we easily forget how a meme can take hold and grab you, how it can spread out like a net, and everything can change. So quick. They'll say we are lost or we're dreaming or they'll make a dream for us. They'll try to come up with a good story. 
about why we belong at the back of the bus, about why we belong in this position, about how we don't know what we meant, about how there most certainly isn't any such thing as the 99%, but everything can change. So quick. Everything can change. That uh, was David Rovix singing Everything Can Change. And uh, we at the dogs know that everything can change. It has changed before and that is why we are interested in history. If you do your history and if you learn from it, you will realise what David Rovacs has just been telling you. Everything can change. And uh, that is why we always battle and we don't give up. Now, there's other very interesting material from Mr Birmingham. Mr Birmingham has got a lot of problems that he's inherited because of privatisation of public facilities. And the most obvious one is the VET system. Money was taken out of our TAFEs, which have provided wonderful courses. Some of the very best educators are in the TAFE system for generations. Our tradesmen and many of the people who keep our economy going have been through the TAFE system and it has been gutted gradually and privatised. And what has happened? As with the Catholic education system that Robert has been talking about, we are discovering that there's not just no accountability for public money. There is outright rotting and there has been quite shocking cases of manipulation of vulnerable people. So Mr Birmingham says he's going to try to do something about it and he doesn't have yet a school's hit list for Tanya Plibersek and the rest of us, but he does have a study hit list for the VET system. Now, he's quite right in blaming the Labor Party for this privatisation bungle. Quite right, but uh, they're, they're all in it together. Unfortunately, both our libs and our labs believe in this strange ideology of the market being efficient and effective. They haven't caught up with the latest in political economy. They haven't read their Stiglitz. They certainly never read their, their um, Keynes and they haven't read their Piketty. But they will eventually get round to it because, remember, everything can change. Now, what is Mr Birmingham doing? We are told uh, in the age of Monday, October the 10th, that about 500 diplomas, including, listen to this, fitness coaching, fashion styling and art therapy, are set to be stripped of access to government subsidies under an overhaul of the vocational loan scheme by the Turnbull government. Well, that's as may be. What about all of the poor students that have got debts to the government for loans that have been given to shonky colleges and when they have absolutely nothing to show for this debt that they have incurred while the money has been going into the banks of shonky operators. 
But of the more than 800 vocational courses which are currently eligible for government loans, only 347 are expected to receive support under the redesigned scheme. So he's attacking the courses. He's not uh, actually taking over these shonky schemes. The hit list of unapproved courses to be released on Monday also includes diplomas in musical theatre, journalism, jewellery design, mind-body medicine, clinical hypnotherapy and Christian counselling. The last one is interesting. He might actually have some concept that we should separate religion and the state. That would be a change. The Turnbull government last week has said that it would scrap the scandal-played VET fee-help loans program and replace it with a new scheme. And they're going to call it VET student loans from January the 1st. So really, not very much is going to change. It's just going to make it more difficult for young people. Under the VET fee-help, all diploma-level courses were eligible for loans, which allowed students to delay paying their fees until they started earning 54000 odd a year. But in the future, only courses that feature on two state and territory skills needs list will receive access to loans. So one wonders about whether this is going to be any different. However... One of the, the Australia's largest private colleges, the Australian Institute of Professional Education, said that it had gone into voluntary administration and it's left up to 16,000 students in limbo. And it's not the only one, of course. Uh, the outstanding level of debt in the government's higher education loan program, which includes uh, both university and vocational loans, uh, should... Um, well, I, my understanding was that we'd lost about $19 billion, but um, it's going to involve $25 billion over the decade. So what if people can't get jobs? They come out of the universities and out of the vet courses and they can't get jobs because, listen, the jobs aren't there. They've gone offshore. Uh, I, I was talking to a businessman friend who used to make... Uh, shoe lasts and even though he has a very very small business uh, he's just lost his worker the one man that was keeping it going and he's going to take it off to Vietnam he's got somebody in Vietnam who would like listen to this a joint venture Uh, it's a race to the bottom so where are our children going to get jobs which are not there and make the 54000 to pay back the debt that they will have for the rest of their lives? So it's all very interesting. So stay around to see whether or not there are changes in this area. Over in South Africa, in Johannesburg, I saw on the television during the week students in the streets very angry students in the streets demanding free education. They have learnt from their, uh, the cohorts, their fellow students in Chile, that free education is a possibility. It is something that they have to fight for. And guess what? They're actually fighting for it. In 2016, 3CR published a book to celebrate the station's 40th birthday, 
years in the making, Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR, is a visually stunning account of the people and ideas that make up this dynamic station. At 300 pages, the book includes hundreds of images and over 50 features on programs, people, music and technology from across the decades. You can get your copy of 3CR's book for $49.50 at the station during business hours at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy. Or online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Get a piece of your own history. 3CR's Radical Radio is available now. Now, I referred earlier in the program to uh, the Lib Labs being hamstrung in education because they have this strange belief system. Robert calls it a weird belief system. This belief that the market is laid up in heaven. It's a theology of sorts. It's a market theology. Uh, The belief that the market is efficient and effective. Now, economists might think this because they only deal with statistics and graphs, but political economists know otherwise. And there are political economists in America and in Paris and in Europe and in England, and they have actually political uh, friends who are questioning this. It is a silly belief system because all the evidence is that the markets are not efficient and the markets are not effective. And one of the most wealthy men in the world who has uh, played the uh, market uh, casino for many years, Mr Soros, will tell you otherwise too. But over in America, there's the question that everybody is asking, the main question isn't the question whether Trump is going to be president or not. He's a, he is a, a media uh, godsend to sell papers, perhaps. But Mr Trump's star seems to be not be on the ascendant. He has taken on the establishment and uh, it looks as if he's failing. But Hillary Clinton is Washington establishment, but Sanders nearly got the better of her. So the question is, could Hillary Clinton become the champion of Joseph Stiglitz 99%? Now, what do I mean by that? Joseph Stiglitz came up with the facts and the figures which proved that 1% of the American population owns as much wealth as the other 99%, which gives the lie to the American dream. And the American dream, like the Australian dream, the egalitarian dream, the belief in liberty and equality, it's uh, wearing very, very thin. But a coalition of progressives in America has been quietly building a plan to bring the Occupy-style ideas into the political establishment. And the question is, will the Democratic nominee, namely Hillary Clinton, get on board? Well, Hillary Clinton got a shock from Mr Sanders and he was definitely on board with Joseph Stiglitz. And it looks as if, in fact, uh, 
Hillary Clinton is at least listening and talking the talk. So it's all very interesting. Who are these people? Uh, The person who is very prominent in this coalition of progressives is a lady who is really worth watching. And it's a great pity that she is not the Democratic nominee. And her name is Elizabeth Warren. But there is another lady called Felicia Felicia Joy Wong. And uh, she has written a very interesting article in the New York Times magazine. Uh, and she has been uh, talking to a Gideon Lewis Krauss. And this appeared on July the 23rd, 2016. It says that in June of 2015, that's over a year ago, Felicia Joy Wong was in her car awaiting with apprehension the economic address that would officially open Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign. It was being staged at the FDR Memorial on New York City's Roosevelt Island. And though Wong's a political operative, uh, she describes herself as a former schoolteacher whose accession to minor power has been entirely accidental, she had taken the choice of venue as auspicious because this lady runs the Roosevelt Institute, which is a think tank for lack of a better term, that originated in trusts established to promote the legacies of Franklin and Eleanor Roosevelt. And Roosevelt, of course, is famous because of what he did uh, in the 1930s to the American economy when the middle class had been well and truly hollowed out in that country by the Depression. Now, the chief economist of this think tank, and this is where it gets interesting, this is the Franklin and Eleanor um, legacy, is none other than Joseph Stiglitz. And Wong and Stiglitz have seen the election as an opportunity to channel the Occupy Wall Street uh, account of the economy and their energy into national politics. Now, for listeners who don't know about the Occupy Wall Street, people who were outraged at the thought that 1% of America's wealth was owned, uh, sorry, that 1% of the wealthy in America owned as much as the other 99% of the population, they actually occupied Wall Street. And they caused quite a ruckus. And the whole idea of the 1% and the 99% was born. So these people in the think tank came up with the idea that the country was perhaps ready once again for what FDR, that's Roosevelt, called the bold, persistent experimentation in our economic affairs. And two of Wong's senior staff members members had gone to the island for the opening speech of Hillary Clinton. And she said, this is what Hillary Clinton said, the middle class needs more growth and more fairness. Growth and fairness go together. For lasting prosperity, you can't have 
the one without the other. I'll say it again, because if you think about it, that's what we at 3CR are about in so many of our programs. That's what the dogs are about. We are about an education for every child. We are about fairness. The fairness rhetoric was taken up by Shorten in the last election and he nearly pipped them at the post. Although, given the economic situation, I must admit that I was praying that he wouldn't take the temptation uh, and take power. His time will come. But Wong heard... Hillary Clinton say, the middle class needs more growth and they need more fairness. Growth and fairness go together and for lasting prosperity, you can't have the one without the other. Well, in Australia, we aren't, and in the dogs, we're not just interested in the middle class. Most members of the middle class have got a roof over their head. Here in Australia and in Melbourne, we have people who don't even have a roof over their head and what's happening to their children. So it's all very interesting. Hillary Clinton understands that prosperity can't be just for CEOs and hedge fund managers. Democracy can't just be for the billionaires and the corporations. Well, tell that to Mr Turnbull and tell that to Mr Shorten and tell that even to the Greens candidates. Uh, The battle for fairness, particularly in education... And you can't have fairness unless education is free, secular and universal for all children and all students all the way up into university and through university. We have had it in this country and we will have it again. But we will have to battle for it and we are not alone. There are people in America, there are people in England, there are people in Europe who either already have it or who are fighting for it. It is a very powerful idea and uh, it is an idea that is worth fighting for. So we we have had really quite a good time this week, I believe. I've enjoyed myself and I hope that you have enjoyed our program. So the time has come to say bye for now. Alive as you and me Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead I never died, says he I never died, says he In Salt Lake City, Joe, says I Him standing by my bed They framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I ain't dead, says Joe, but I ain't dead. The copper bosses killed you, Joe, they shot you, Joe, says I, takes more than guns to kill a man, says Joe. I didn't die, says Joe, I didn't die. 
and standing there as big as life and smiling with his eyes says joe what they can never kill went on to organize went on to organize from san diego up to maine in every mine and mill where workers strike and organize it's there you find your hill it's there you find your hill i dreamed i saw your last night alive as you and me says i but joe You're ten years dead. I never died, says he.